0: Welcome to The Sacred Everything, a podcast that explores what the world would look like if we treated ourselves, our communities, and the natural environment as sacred. We seek out to illuminate the root causes of society's biggest issues, like climate change and social injustice. We meet the leaders of a practical revolution whose little tweaks on everyday life could bring healing to humanity. I'm Travis, and with my co-host Dennis. Join us as we meet the pioneers of personal healing, nature reconnection, and revival of community life. Here's to a more beautiful world. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're blessed to have Diane Diston from the Guild for Spiritual Guidance. She is a psychoanalyst in Brewster, New York, and a spiritual guide in New York, Connecticut, and worldwide. Diane has spent decades as a corporate coach, trainer, and manager, and in 2003 was ordained an interfaith minister. She has degrees and certificates in business, leadership, and psychoanalysis. And she is currently a staff member of the Guild for Spiritual Guidance since 2010. She enjoys deep conversations, spiritual exploration, and is a mother of two. Diane, we're we're happy to have you here. How
1: are you doing today? I'm doing great, Travis. It's great to be here. Nice to meet Dennis today. And I'm I'm thrilled to be a part of your podcast. So greetings.
0: Great. And where where are you calling in from?
1: Connecticut, Southbury, Connecticut, with a lovely little snow cover this morning.
0: That's great. Fantastic. Yeah.
1: Beautiful Excellent.
0: out. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to get started by just asking: what is the Guild for Spiritual Guidance?
1: Sure. So, the Guild for Spiritual Guidance, you know, we're a nonprofit organization that offers all kinds of different programming from workshops, retreats, week long retreats, weekend retreats, and programs that are longer, like a two year training program or a one year program. So, we offer a variety of different ways to to come to the teachings that are very critical to the Guild. And those teachings are the the ways of Teilhard de Chardin, which is is very much, much about evolutionary cosmology, Carl Jung, depth psychology, the mystics, both Eastern and Western, ancient voices of wisdom, and community. How do we form as community with one another, with society, with the world at large? And so we are a group of a community of spiritual seekers who come together to explore these different avenues.
0: That's fantastic. Is there, um, can you tell us just a little bit more about the, the way that you do it? You know, how is this sort of the guild, but, it, but my understanding, it's also sort of a school. So just, you know, describe to us what's a cohort look like? How long is the program?
1: Okay. So in one particular program which is which you're kind of referring to is the two-year apprenticeship program that is something that I'm the coordinator of and the way that that works is well first we are discerning whether or not or who is coming into this circle this cohort to work with one another for two years and I think that's a spiritual exploration you know as we We go through the process of interviews and finding folks who are interested in coming to the program. There's a a visioning that I might go through, watching each person begin to sit in the seat of the circle that they'll take and become part of this community of apprentices. And the program goes on for two years. We are very intentional about how we come together in our space. We are working on deeply listening to one another from a from a heart space and in that deep listening allowing silence to enter into the conversation so that the real essence and the real meaning of what someone else might be offering is allowed to surface before someone else responds so that is very much a way that we are in circle together in this rhythm of silence and voice from our hearts. We're also very intentional about how we might respond to that sacred listening. And when we talk about sacred listening, we're listening to one another, we're listening to ourselves, we're listening to what might be presenting itself from our Earth, our planet, from the divine and however we we understand that. So all of these different realms are kind of becoming a part of the whole, the one in, in the space that we create in the environment. The program lasts for two years. We study the teachings of evolutionary cosmology. Teilhard de Chardin is a, a huge presence and in that world of evolutionary cosmology and he was like one of the first Jesuit priests who was also a paleontologist you know he kind of married spirituality and science you know the and became ostracized and banned to China by the church because what do you mean there was evolution you know what do you mean you believe what darwin is saying you know that that kind of thing and and carl jung takes us into this place of collective consciousness and unconsciousness where we are connecting not only with ourselves but our ancestors and one another and the you know that that healing and understanding our shadows and who we are and how we are in community with one another and then, of course, we have so many ancient voices of wisdom from all different spiritual teachings, Rumi and Hildegard of Bingen and Sri aurobindo And I mean, I, you know, we could just go on and on and on. There's not enough time to name them all, but <laughs> they're, they're all there. They're all speaking to us. So we listen.
2: How are you treated by those other religious organizations that have that more siloed approach, right? That they have the, you know, they they appreciate that one word where you guys are taking that breath approach.
1: Yeah. Well, how are we treated by them? I, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I would know how to answer that. We, the people who come to us come from all different faith traditions. So like the last cohort that I'm just about to graduate, they'll be graduating in April. We have two Methodist ministers. We have an an Episcopalian priest. We have a shaman. We have, so, and and that's just a few. We have some who are completely unaffiliated. You know, they don't really connect with any particular silo. And and so they're just coming because they want to dive deeper they want to really get into the depth of their faith the depth of the sacredness and the holiness of this world and this universe and and be in that on that journey with one another and not get stuck in the dogma you know not mm. get stuck in the rules and the rigidity and that kind of thing yeah
2: so to me it sounds like you are accepting of all of these people from from different faiths and they recognize each other in the in the journey that they're taking on for this sacredness, for this depth. And that is that is their unity. That is their glue, right? Am yeah. I understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah, you're understanding that really well, Dennis. And sometimes those folks who come to us, there's something calling to them from the language that we use when we talk about ourselves. And yet they don't really know why they're coming to sit in that seat quite yet. That's the journey of the two years of the apprenticeship program, right? To discover what's going on within you that, that called you into this, into this journey. And many of them will have these incredible aha moments. Like I had someone from a very traditional faith path who was a, an ordained minister not too long ago, say in our group what am I supposed to get into the pulpit and talk about this Sunday? My world has just been blown up. (sighs) So, you know, those kinds of moments occur. And then there's that readjustment, like, the walls just fell off and the ceiling just blew off and the floor fell out. And now where do I go? You know, and it's beautiful, but are my people going to be able to hear this? So. Yeah.
0: So it sounds like, sounds like the guild is this container for people who know they want to get their mind blown. They just don't know how (laughs) it's going (laughs) to happen. And you, and you hold this container and you have these, these traditions, the evolutionary cosmology, the mystics, the Jungian depth psychology to sort of, to sort of create the four walls of the container, but it's not it's not really that you're teaching people how to be a psychologist. You're not teaching people how to be an evolution- evolutionary cosmologist. You're sort of populating the space so that they can do their own inner exploration.
1: That's exactly that's exactly it, Travis. Yeah, it's it's how are they? How do they need this journey in order to reach their potential? You know, how will this journey that they're on inform them? and allow them to discern about how they might companion the world. Where will they serve when they leave this two-year program? How will they serve? What inspires them by the time they get to this, the end of this two-year journey? And the other programs that the Guild offers also are extensions of this, right? They might do a deeper dive into Tayyard for a weekend, or they might bring in a speaker like recently, we've been doing work with um, Dr. Fanny Brewster, who is an African Jungian analyst out of Philadelphia, New York City, and she's wanting us to step into some healing work, racial healing work. And how do we, you know, how do we move that into community and how do we open our hearts to that those healing dialogues and speak the things that maybe haven't been spoken? You know, we we need to honor all walks, our indigenous friends, our 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 African friends, our, you know, whoever we are that come to live in this place in this sacred land, we we need to honor all of those walks. The Christian tradition, the Sufi tradition, like we just go on and on. But It's all, it's all, you know, it's like that story of the elephant when you're standing next to it and all you see is the trunk or all you see is the leg or the tail. It's the whole thing that we're, we're wanting to step into and express that it's all that unity, that connection, that interconnection is critical and beautiful.
0: I love, I love the elephants. Do you, do you do a good elephant story? Can you tell the whole thing? No. No.
1: I tell it like I just told it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's got I mean, something it, to do with blind men, right? Yeah, or- it's
0: like five, five blind men walk out to discover what an elephant is. And one of them is standing in front of the trunk and he says, oh, the, an elephant is like a snake. You know, and one is, one is kind of touching the thigh and the, the hind leg says, no, an elephant's more like a stone wall. You know, and somebody's touching the tail. He says, an elephant's more of like a, a rooster tail. And and they all they all come in and are using using only their senses of feel and smell to actually describe what it is. But it's the analogy for how how do world religions describe God? Right? We're all only getting the tiniest little
2: glimpse through our experiences. So it's beautiful. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah, Diane, what is your story? How did you come to the Spiritual Guild? What drove you? What's your story?
1: Well, so I've always been a spiritual seeker. I mean, I would I would say from the time I was in my teens. You know, I came of age in the '60s and early '70s. Hence, my reference to Ram Dass early on. But I I was always looking for more, and I dove deeply into a very Christian based path for a while. I dove deeply into a, a Buddhist path. I've I've really explored hinduism and sufism uh, so i was always looking for whatever the answer was right and and finding pieces of it along the way and always feeling like like the story of the elephant like i feel like it's all of this each of these things have something deep and wonderful to offer and uniquely theirs and I also felt for so long that i i danced I danced somehow with all of it and so so having having been a spiritual seeker and having followed many paths i was in I knew a lot of people who were also spiritual seekers, and I had no less than five folks come to me over the course of about six months saying. There's this organization called the Guild for Spiritual Guidance, and they are looking for a a coordinator of their two-year program, and you really should apply for that. And I was saying, oh, why would I apply for that? Oh, well, because you have a background in psychoanalysis and a background in this, and you're a spiritual seeker, and you're, and anyway... So, over the course of about six months, I heard it and then I heard it and then I heard it again. And finally, I said, I should make that phone call. You know, more when you hear more than one or two people say the same thing to you, you really need to follow that. And I at least was willing to have the next conversation. And the rest is kind of history. I began those phone calls, I began the conversations with the folks who were the leaders within this organization. And my heart, connected with their heart. And what they spoke to me were the, the wisdom words that some I knew, some I didn't know yet and wanted to know more about, and some I had that they didn't know, you know? So we were, we were forming a relationship. It was, and I've been in that relationship now with them for over 10 years. And I have learned much, and I hope others have learned from me as well. You know, but um, yeah, it's my it's my life. My spiritual journey is my life. It isn't separate. It 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 just is who I am.
0: Mm. Sounds like sounds like the guild found you more than you found the guild. (laughs) Kept coming from all directions.
1: I think it was mutual.
0: Mutual. Yeah. Okay. I mean, were you? I needed them.
1: Maybe they found me, but I needed them.
0: Were, were, was that a time in your life when you were putting it out there? Were you calling in something that that was like this or, or was it more the, the beauty of serendipity?
1: Well, I had, it was both, you know, I had recently been ordained as an interfaith minister. I went to um, the New Seminary down in New York City and uh, was ordained at uh, St. John the Divines in the Synod House with all faith traditions. It was such an incredible ceremony. We had, uh, I was just incredible. And then I was, I was a psychoanalyst. I had just been, um, licensed as a psychoanalyst and I was wanting to marry kind of those two pieces of my world. You know, I, I wanted to be with people. I wanted to help people move along in their journeys. I understood the depth psychology part of it. And I really understood the spiritual side of it. And I didn't see how or why we wanted to separate those two things. Right. And so there was that calling inside of me, you know, looking for that way to, to kind of marry the inter social therapies. And then coming to the Guild was like this place of, Well, there are people that do spiritual companionship, spiritual guidance all over the world. And don't we also need to look at self and what the interior world is like? And, you know, because we bring a lot of baggage with us. We're human beings with all our stories and all our stuff. And we need to understand what that is. So we have clarity when we're in relationship with one another. So this, the guild allowed me to, to explore that and help them explore that as well.
0: So, so it was a medicine you were seeking for yourself, but also some, but a, but a way to be able to give back while you're doing it, which is totally the wounded healer, right? Mm -hmm. Using, using the thing that I'm suffering from as a means of making connection with the world and healing in the world. That's right.
1: That's right.
0: And I mean, when we were having our prep call, it was, it was just so clear how, how aligned the guild's mission and vision was with what we're trying to do right at the sacred everything. Just thinking that, that some of the world's biggest issues are founded in the most fundamental things, which is what you said, which is we come into the room with so much baggage. It is sometimes even prohibitive for us to create lasting change. And I, my world, which is in climate change mitigation and adaptation and and engineering and technology studies and policy development, you see a lot of stuff not getting done because of these fundamental wounds that we wind up carrying around and just not addressing. And uh, so the work that you do, I find in my heart is some of the most important work that we can do for the future generations of humanity so that we can actually build the world that we want. And not let you know some of these forces that are unconscious or just lying underneath, saying, you know, oh, build it so the economy can grow more, build it so that we can get a little bit richer on this one. These things are are sort of the subtle counterpoints to some extent for us doing this work of psycho spiritual healing. They they are they're the noise in this, in we're see- in you're seeking the signal right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are. So many human beings, because we haven't connected with who we truly are in a sacred and spiritual way, and we haven't healed our own wounds, we are acting out. We're acting out all over the place. And the acting out can be on the world stage, you know, through, through, our own lack of understanding of ourselves and the only way that we can prove ourselves is through power or greed or grabbing it all or you know with without any thought for other or what it means what we're doing you know to our planet or to each other like it is it is the the main we are the virus <laughs> You know, we yeah. are the virus. And unless we heal ourselves and stop just, you know, sort of, I hate to say this, but throwing up all over everything, like we, we have to heal ourselves and, and, and start to help the planet heal and everything heal, you know, but we, it starts here, it starts in our own hearts in our own journey.
0: You're, you're bringing us back to episode one. We, uh, we interviewed Steve Tormo, who's the nonviolent communication guru of Western North um, Carolina. And, you know, he's, he sort of talks about dominator culture. He talks about how we are just tragically trying to get our needs met, you know, and it's this baggage, which is the DNA of how we get our needs met, you know, the, what, I want to be happy. I want my family to be healthy. I want to have a good time on the weekends. You know, that's the what, but the how we do it is where genetically we have these mutations of destruction, of separation, of domination. So this is this is rich. This is really really rich. Thank you.
1: And and if you think in terms of of how that affects everything yeah we have these needs that are are wanting to be met but how incredible would it be if our needs were met by just getting the connection that is within each and every one of us of love if we were to be focused on that love that's in there and how in relationship with the universe in relationship with the divine in relationship with one another in relationship with ourselves we bring that sort of unity connectedness you know that's what tayard talks about as the omega point that's that's when we get that there's the sacred in everything. You know, that's what you guys are all about. That's when we understand the sacred in everything because we've been born out of that. And we are the sacred in everything along with the everything. And so love is the, love is the glue to me. Love is what's in our DNA that is the glue. We have a hard time coming to that in our world. Human beings have a hard time remembering that, I think. We have to remind ourselves and one another all the time, every day.
2: Diane, I have a good friend of mine. Her name is Marianne, and she told me this one quote, and it was, all stories are true, just some of them haven't happened yet. So what does the story of, of this new intergenerational healing look like?
1: You know, I, I, I hate to sound like rose colored glasses, (laughs) you know, because I'm very much about understanding the darkness and the light. I'm very much about, we don't skip over, we don't transcend the things that need to be dealt with in order to find this, this better way. We have to heal the wounds before we move to this better way. But the intergenerational story of where we could go, if we could heal those wounds, would certainly be one of harmony, would certainly be one with less divisiveness, less spilling of blood, less violence, more seeking to understand and seeking to heal and seeking to bring about a healthy planet and a healthy and all healthy living sentient beings. And that always sounds so frou-frou to me, you know, because, <laughs> because I live in that place of having to deal with the darkness sometimes on a daily basis, right, with my clients and, and all the work they're having to do. But it's because I have, this, I have this vision of what could be. And so I long to move in that direction and I long to companion others in moving in that direction as well. I mean, what do you, I want to ask a question. What do you guys think about the vision that could be ahead if we all got it, that everything is sacred?
2: Travis, what do you say to that one? (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
0: coming from an architectural and city planning background, I have some thoughts, right? I have some really functional thoughts around our, 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 Or sovereignty. And the ways that we express sovereignty today are through getting high-paying jobs and hoarding guns. You know, we it's these really materialistic expressions of sovereignty because the, the globalized food chain, supply chain, is something that we feel we can't really change much. And I work every day on thinking about how to change the fuel. Of a cargo ship, change the fuel of a of a semi-truck. And to some extent, I don't think we should have those cargo ships or semi-trucks moving food from Belize to Boston. I I mean, whatever. I the dark and the light, right? I am actually, I do not believe in bad and good. So I think that it is part of our reality right now, and we need to solve what it is. But I also think that if everybody, as you you said, got it, if they started to undo some of their intense consumerist buying habits, which are to some extent a, a resemblance of the addictions that we all carry around in our various ways, we would say, why don't we make a local job by offering up our backyard as a farm to somebody? Oh my gosh, I can walk out and pick a fresh tomato, you know, in June. I mean, these types of really simple things can start to take our sovereignty back as humans that live in a world that seems unfixable at many points. So, so I, I see functional, practical, small-scale revolutions as ways of marrying our psychological revolution, which is what can I do in a world that seems relatively un, unimpactable?
1: There you go. The practical solutions married with the 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 love and the spiritual health and wellness, right, that brings us together, then we can work on those practical solutions and make them real, manifest.
0: Well, it takes us getting out of our own way to be able to say, all right, who's going to pick up the tomatoes on Tuesday? How <laughs> Are we going to set up a farmer's market? Are we going to use you know, this new cryptocurrency as a way of paying us back for our labor, like people are really thinking about this, like that program exists out there. But until we are capable of cooperating in a way where we our ego is almost fully out of the room, then those systems break down. Because basically, that's how trade started. And that, that trade began, you know, began to be governed by law in government. And all of the brokenness of our human condition is reflected in the first institutions that we ever made around mercantilism and governance, you know, and, and it's sort of like, I don't want us to go back to the beginning, but but we need to start through working on the practical unwinding of some of the dominating challenges of our times. We will see how poorly we communicate and cooperate and when we are working on the big problem and the small problem at the same time i think i think that's when we actually start to see a miracle a glimpse and a promise of what the future could look like
1: yeah because don't we all just bring our own gifts to this right travis i mean like Somebody who can think about how we might change those systems, you know, and recreate new systems that will serve us better moving forward in the world. And someone who can help people to recognize where they're wounded and how they need to heal. And someone who can teach how nonviolent communication can move us in the right direction when we're negotiating, you know, to do something big, a big plan, a big, you know, project. Uh, I, I mean, we just need, we need a community of all of these skill sets and people to just start putting that out there. Yeah.
2: I'm so happy that you're on this journey with us, that you're here and willing and ready to share your gift. I mean, that's the reason why we're recording this right here and now so that people at any time asynchronously can listen to this conversation and receive your gift.
1: And yours. We're in this together, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, you asked me before about the people that come out of the program and, and will come to the program, but come out of it. And one of the things that we do in, in the second year of this apprenticeship cohort is we ask people to, we assign a, a mentor depending on what direction they want to go in, but we ask them to actually step out into the world and do something practical you know, to begin to companion the world in some way that is, that they're being called to companion it. And, you know, we, the people who have graduated from the Guild for Spiritual Guidance have become artists and authors and, and scientists, and they've left, uh, they've left what they've been doing when they were with us and gone on to do eco-spirituality things. And, you know, we, we had a woman who who created a monarch landing station in her backyard. She completely got rid of the the manicured gardens and all of that, created this beautiful meditation place and put in all the plantings that allow the monarch butterflies to land in her space and then take off for the flight the rest of their journey. And she's teaching young children who she has in her yoga classes and bringing them to her garden and showing being there when the monarchs fly in and, and leave and talking about the journey of that particular species of life on our planet and where they come from and where they go. And it's, you know, like we need all of this to be happening out there. And so for each one of us, there is one of those One of those projects, one of those things we want to do in the world. So what the Guild hopes is in the second year of this apprenticeship program, for every single person that's there, there will be a different journey that they want to take in that year too and begin to practice something, you know, outside of themselves as they companion the world in some way. So, yeah, we all have a job. We all have something we can offer. We all have unique skill sets and talents that we bring.
0: That's, uh, that's, that totally harkens back to our third episode with Jared Archibald, where in the Wilderness Awareness School, you're, you're, you're stuck in the woods. I mean, you're intentionally and gratefully stuck in the woods with some folks creating a a hut to live in. And if you don't do it in a good way, if you can't get over yourself while you're doing it, you have to share a very small space with somebody that night. And if, and if it doesn't get done in time and the rain comes, then you're going to be sopping wet. So it's this sort of interesting thing that without the community, it's actually quite difficult for us to find our individual expression. And, and, you know, we asked him, this sounds really Similar to coaching, you know, like personal, like what's my job, what's my purpose in life, coaching, and and his criticism was that a lot of that is so individually focused on what you're going to do to the world, right? And you don't have a context or a community that is the fertile soil in which your expression can blossom. So what you're saying is so resonant with what we've heard, which is like the community gives, helps you find the purpose, you know, and it's not just that you're going to go out and do it and you're going to become enlightened and then you're going to share that with the world. But yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. That's, that's very synthetic with what, what we've heard.
1: Yeah. We actually have one of our graduates who is a teacher at a wilderness school up in Vermont and she, she comes back to us all the time and does retreats and, you know, gets us to go out and listen to the bird song and track she teaches us how to track through the woods and what to look for and yeah i mean we need to understand our land too this is this is also critical right how do how do we help our planet survive if we don't understand her so she needs us right now
2: who are the founders of the guild for spiritual alliance
1: so the guild for spiritual guidance is was founded in the, in the seventies, like 1978, around then. Um, Henry Nowen, Madeline L'Engle A Wrinkle in Time, Madeline Langle. I just love that woman. Uh, who else? Morton Kelsey, Douglas Steer. I mean, these are names you might know or might not know. Henry, Henry Nowen is pretty well known. Wounded. He wrote the book, "The Wounded Healer." The wound, the wounded. Yeah, the wounded healer. And many of them came out of the the Christian tradition. And the reason that the guild was founded was because they felt that there was a gap for people who went to study in seminaries to become priests or ministers. That there was a gap in their training. That they weren't really taught how to guide someone spiritually. They really weren't that wasn't part of their training, which when you think about it, if you're studying to become some kind of a spiritual teacher, like a minister or a priest, you would think you would have some some education in how to sit with someone else and hear their spiritual journeys. But apparently that wasn't happening back then. And so it was founded on this with this idea in mind that they would begin to offer trainings for people who wanted to become spiritual guides uh, in a formal capacity. And it has evolved, as Tayard says, we must. It has evolved over the years into much more about, yes, some folks who come and learn with us go on to be spiritual companions or spiritual guides to others. Some go on to do that with groups, and many go on, to companion the world in some other way. So we've opened it to more of this companioning of the world.
2: So what I'm hearing you say is that originally, I mean, am I right? Is is, is there a lot of seminary schools in Connecticut?
1: Not really. No, Um, there's, I mean, Yale divinity is in Connecticut. And of course, New York has New York theological and, you know, there union seminary. There are a couple of big uh, seminaries in New York. And and the one, the main one in Connecticut is Yale Divinity School. Yeah.
2: So the Guild kind of started as a, a place for these seminarians to come together and, and receive a more um, thorough education in in what you now call spiritual companionship. Right. And so now the program has kind of opened or funneled into into this this bigger scope in which people that are willing to engage in that spiritual companionship, perhaps now, but aren't really necessarily looking to go into the more the classical positions like pastors, priests, and spiritual guidance leaders. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah, I would actually say that those people tend to come to deepen their learning. Those are the people who are coming to us now and saying, that might fall a little bit short. I think there's more.
2: As the as the school as the guild has opened up in this way, how have the stories of the students changed from this seminary to more this companion role?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the way it's changed is we have less people we have less people leaving after their graduation from the two year program and becoming for, formal spiritual guides. We have more people leaving and looking at ways to change the world to companion the world through eco-spirituality type of projects or through you know through offering group guidance in a way that might open the people they're guiding into companioning the world in a new way so it's sort of this ripple effect that's now beginning to expand and go out and and You know, it's funny because before, Travis, you were talking about why don't we have gardens in our own front yards. You know, we we've had a couple of folks do just that, like begin community gardening scenarios where the people in their neighborhood are gardening in their front yards and saying, you know, come pick. I'll grow the tomatoes. You grow the cucumbers and you you know, you you plant the herbs and we'll share and we'll, you know, I mean, it, it's such a a forward thinking, yet it, we're informed from our past, right? Because that was the way we lived right. many, 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 many years ago in community like that. And it's like we're being asked to live again in those ways in community in the world, sharing with one another and not holding it all so tightly. Hmm.
0: I, it's, it's funny because this is sort of synthesizing in my mind from what Dennis had mentioned before. And now you're saying this, this is uh, Charles Eisenstein calls this the new and ancient story. It is both new because we are not going back. We've already, you know, developed the way that we've developed and our human footprint is the way that it is, but it's, but it is, it's new because it can't be what it once was, but it is ancient because the principles of uh, living with the land, the principles of, you know, spiritual understanding, the principles of sort of communal living, those are all to some extent, the antidote. That that we need to begin to relearn the wisdom that we need to begin to uncover, so that our eyes can even be open enough to see what a lasting solution might look like. You know, these are not like community gardens are not the answer. They are they are the training ground to some extent, so that we can so that we can perceive what the future could be. And I I love that, and I love that you brought that up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what is the future? Where are we heading? But let's get started somewhere. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and I, th- I mean, so this what is we're the, doing
1: now is broken. It's yeah, not working.
0: It's and it's the ten generation. Well, I mean, here's a be- here's a beautiful digression, which I think is really important. I'm I'm always trying not to even look at it as broken because I would walk around and say everything is broken. I'm I'm on this path of saying this could be a trajectory for humanity. We could pave over the earth with strip malls and walmarts we could we could probably even do that while avoiding catastrophic climate change i think we really could do that is that what we want do we want local governments that approve that type of development do we want to continue to extract endlessly to build more solar panels and more wind farms and more battery farms so that we can live our current standard of life and keep the lights on and the AC running as much as we can. You know, like we're not changing anything about our habits and ourselves. We're changing the inputs and that is continuing the destructive cycle. And I'm I'm not saying that we don't need all that to stave off climate change right now, but it's sort of like, it's like, in my mind, it's not wrong that or it's not broken that it is. It just is, and it will lead to a future that looks a very certain way.
1: That's a really interesting idea. I mean, it takes me to, like, movies I'm sure I've seen over the course of my lifetime, right? Well, where we're we're all living underground, and
0: (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's currently, it's billed as an ecotopia. You know, your toothpaste is green and your toothbrush is green and your power is green and your car is green. But the reality is that, like, that's all common from Mother Earth. Every bit of countertop, every 3,000 square foot home, like, we're we're continuing to make the same decisions, just wrapping it in, in. I think it's sort of the societal greenwashing to think that we can continue a consumerist trajectory and wind up with this ecotopia. But many people warn that it's not just about carbon. It's about ecosystem collapse. It's about the, the our own political polarities that we go through and we're walking around and I'm feeling it every day. It's like, I don't feel like in my life I've ever felt the country more polarized than this. No. And those all have trajectories. They're not good or bad. That they look like. I mean, I, re- I read a lot of sci-fi, so it's like it's like I've yeah. seen I've seen us living in caves before in many novels, and I don't want that for my grand 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 grandchildren.
1: Nor do I want to live in the Matrix, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, reality for me is 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 really understanding. I mean, yeah, we can go into the whole conversation around what is real and what isn't, but I I think this planet was given to us you know this spinning little orb out in in the middle of this giant one universe of which there are many 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 we have been gifted and we have been born from this little green and blue planet that spins around out here and we are offered everything we need from this planet to survive. We have it all. It's all right here. How do we, li- how do we, do- how do we live with that? What do we do about that? What are our choices around that?
2: That brings me back to... Um... A famous quote you know the, the, again we keep bringing back to uh, older episodes but somebody brought up brought up the the quote of uh we um we have what is it paleo paleolithic brains and medieval institutions and godlike technologies
1: <laughs> interesting combination yes
2: yeah, so and we and i like another word for wisdom i like to use is applied knowledge and you know, I think we have to walk before we can run. And so we, we have to apply all these different, you know, experiments and, and, you know, like the Walmarts and the pavement and all that. It's like, I love the kitchen and I love using my knives. And if I were to imagine having to, to go go into make some Flintstone napping techniques to go, to go cut some celery, I mean, that we... There's a reason why, you know, that is progressive to that point that, that I now can go purchase something from Amazon for $49 and I come to my front door and cut up some celery. Is that the solution? No. But are we walking? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I like my knives, too. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You keep your uh, eyes sharp
1: i you know they they could be sharpened, <laughs> but I still love them, yeah, you know and and we all have those edges in us, right, like where we're like oh yeah i could I could give up this, and I can do that, and i and then there's that one thing that's like, what <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not going to live without You want me to ah. give up
1: my knife? Or you want me to give up my air conditioning? Or you want, you know, whatever that is, that is a comfort for us. We all have them. Those things that are really hard to let go of.
0: I'm. I mean, on this point, I'm like, my spiritual conundrum right now is struggling with this paradox every day, which is we've built a medical system which has dramatically increased the average life expectancy of a human being almost, almost across the globe. And we also have a really predatory pharmaceutical industry, right? (laughs) So what's in the, there's two pieces of DNA here that are both fighting at the same time. One grow, improve, innovate, love, live longer, survive. And the other one is, well, I don't really know how to get all my needs met effectively so exploit dominate grow 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 you know to the end of i don't know why but i mean maybe the root signal from the universe is the same signal grow survive thrive you know but to some extent it's getting expressed in all these different ways which is i want to live longer and nurture my family and oh you know, if I had a bigger salary and I went to a better school, then I could X. And and I I think having these having these things competing in us, we kind of I think we all know that those are similar but different intuitions competing in us every day. And we all know that the plastic bag at the grocery store is something that is environmentally destructive. But we are not perfect individuals. And so, so this, this, you know, these are trends, trends of climate grief is a really big thing that people are talking about right now that folks, especially in, you know, the, the twenties to forties age bracket are just contending with and saying like, how do I even live in the world where I feel sort of trapped by my choices and I, and I continue to perpetuate systems that I don't like. So I think this is, this is part and parcel of, of what you brought up, Dennis with that With that quote, which is, "Oh my gosh, maybe we're moving out of the Paleolithic mind, and we are getting even maybe we're going to leapfrog medieval and get into get into godlike thinking by having everything in mind, but but we have systems that that do not facilitate us being able to live our values on a day to day basis on an hour to
2: hour basis have <laughs> you heard of the have you heard of the idea of the the race of the brainstem no." race of the brainstem a race to, the brainstem. Oh, to and, the brainstem and it's this idea that a lot of our institutions uh, have the incentives to give us things and sell us things and offer us services that that hit right at the core of our reptilian brain hmm. And I think that's it goes perfectly in line with what Travis is saying. It's like, but the ease and the convenience of not having to bring your own shopping bag and all these yummy foods with the, with the, look at all the colors that they have. It just it's a race to the brainstem. When before you know, our like evolutionarily speaking, our eyes evolved to be able to see the different colors so that we could tell the ripeness of the things that we ate. And now those things are exploited on on marketing and and in boxes and all this. It's a race to the brainstem.
1: We're so willing to participate in that race. And it's hard to step back from that race. I don't, I, you know, I. W- we talk a lot of, uh, at the Guild about this grieving, you know, this, this, that we are entering, we feel like a time of of grief around what is happening. And when we're talking about the grieving, we're also talking about, what we are finding hard to let go of you know how do we surrender to to make it to to help heal the world how do we surrender into the process of our everyday habits in order to allow the healing to take place you know to surrender to changing those everyday habits those things that we do that don't contribute to the healing And, and that if we do not, and our planet, I don't know that our planet will not survive. I have a feeling we won't. My, my, this is me personally now, not the Guild for Spiritual Guidance. I
0: totally agree.
1: (laughs) I just feel like she'll be just fine. She's survived other species and other things and, you know, whatever form The earth will take, she will take, but we're not necessary. So, you know, that's what we have to look at. You know, the grief of the potential of losing our species if we don't take care of things.
0: Well, that's why it's important to have places like the Guild and the people that are coming in and out of the Guild to, to... Help folks that don't, to some extent, didn't make those choices early on to grapple with those questions. Or folks that I think is really important right now to presence in this conversation is just privilege. There are a lot of people that do not have the privilege, right? The average median household income in America is way lower than what most people that are even going to be listening to this makes. And when we are worried about putting food on the table, when we are concerned about making rent, it is all consuming and the the bandwidth that we have across the across society is widely stratified to be able to address these yearnings and to even sense that its grief and i i i honor what the guild for spiritual guidance is doing and i would also love to submit a challenge which is basically while while you're struggling with these really big tectonic forces of race and privilege um, in your own, how can we start to produce leaders that are addressing this idea that not everybody is going to be able to spend the time to deep to deeply think about their role right. in in a revolution? and an awakening right. and an awareness ar- around our current condition, our wounded condition personally, our wounded condition with the environment, our wounded condition with with uh, community and sort of like not being able to cooperate to make those changes. So yeah, I this this was such a heartwarming conversation, Diane, and I, I feel like our whole effort is seen and reflected by that which um, the Guild is doing. And I'd love to just wrap by asking, you know if if there are folks that are just getting into these questions what advice do you have for them
1: well i think i would say simple things i would say really really simple things <laughs> <laughs> like go outside and every all of us can do this on some in some way go outside and look up and feel the sun on your face the air on your body, breathe in that air. We're not always guaranteed to have it. Find some sense of wonder and graciousness around the gift that we're given of air, you know? And to just look at whatever nature you can look at even if you live in an urban environment where everything is paved over you can look up and find the sky and you can mostly see a star of some kind or the moon or something showing through at night and and i would say to find others who are struggling and questioning and to have these conversations these conversations that can touch your heart and and help to heal wherever you are and however you are living in this world right now. And to, to seek out those those people and learn about however you can learn, whether it's through reading or podcasts or videos or a television show that may be remarkably intelligent, <laughs> you know, <laughs> really <laughs> hard to find, but out there. <laughs> um, you know, just Find ways, find ways to inform yourself and find others who are doing the same thing. But I cannot say enough, go outside every day. And if you can, plant your feet on the earth. For those living in urban environments, it might be harder to do, but when you can, step on the earth.
2: You are not the first person to say that.
1: <laughs> You're kidding. That wasn't an original thought. What? <laughs>
2: But this is just such a recurring theme. Go out there, look at the sun. I mean, I think this was even in one of uh, what was it, Steve Jobs' last will? And, and was testing. it really? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. It was one of his cures for for depression was to go out and look at the sun.
1: It's true. <laughs> it is a cure for depression, right? Vitamin D. That's a that's a very scientific thing. <laughs>
0: Amen. Well, thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Diane, so much. This has been such a heart opening experience for me. And we are grateful that the Guild for Spiritual Guidance exists. And we hope that anybody who's listening and is a seeker and thinks that it's for them, will uh, go to the data on this podcast and and seek you out to try to join the program. And um, let's make a commitment to all go out and feel the sun on our face today.
1: I love uh, that. I love that. Thank you so much, Dennis and Travis. It's been a joy and a pleasure. You're a gift to the world. And I would love to keep in touch with you and see what you're doing and what's happening to your sacred everything. I love what you're doing.
0: Amen. Until next year. Cheers.
1: Namaste. Namaskar.
2: Namaskar.
0: Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. The Sacred Everything is brought to you with the generous volunteer assistance of our team. Dennis Pavluck is our technical wizard, philosophical gymnast, co-host, and editor of the podcast. Danya Trejo is the manager of our marketing, community, and design efforts, and also our head witch. I'm Travis Sheehan, the regenerative creator, systems magician, co-host, and belly laugh keeper of The Sacred Everything.